1: With Zach Pearson, Zach Pearson, and Aaron Lemming, Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears, Go Bears presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming.
2: Welcome in Bears fans to so another edition of the Bear Report podcast. The Chicago Bears dropped another one. This past week, they lost to the Washington Commanders on Thursday night football. Feels like ages ago, but it was another poor performance for the Bears as they struggled and have now fallen below 500 again this season. We're going to break all that down. We're going to preview the Bears' upcoming matchup over against the New England Patriots. They'll be on the road this week for a Monday night primetime showdown. We'll have a special guest, Kari Thompson, who covers the Patriots for WEEI out there in Boston. Before we get into all that, though, let me welcome in my co-host, Aaron Lemming. Aaron, like I said, man, it feels like ages, like ages ago um, that, the, that the Bears dropped that awful, awful Thursday night game. But here we are, another game coming up in prime time, and things look like they're bleak now.
3: Yeah, it feels like ages ago that the Bears even won a game. And I mean, it has just been, this has been a drag of a season. I mean, it's just it's funny because I tweeted about this earlier. It's like it just seems like the same cycle week in and week out, Um, whether the Bears win, whether they lose, no matter how much they lose by, no matter how much they win by. It's the same cycle on Twitter. It's like. You know, all these out-of-context stats against Justin Fields. Everybody gets upset. We go through this huge circle. The Bears game happens. Everybody's feeling higher than they should. They go into the game. They, you know, more than likely lose the game. I mean, they're sitting at two and four. Everybody freaks out. Everybody, you know, realizes that this isn't a good team. And then it's just the same cycle week in and week out. And it's like, I I don't know about you, but I had honestly kind of thought that – uh i I don't know i I just i thought this was going to be a more exciting season um than what it has been and it's just one of those things right now where i I don't know man it's just it's obviously they're in the middle of a rebuild uh we expected them to be bad I, i i wish things were more exciting and unfortunately anytime that you score seven points in a in a football game and you had what was it three different opportunities inside the uh you know inside the 10-yard line and you can't cash in on any of those it's just it's just one of those it 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 just every single time that we think the offense is going to somehow get better it somehow gets worse and it's just one of those things where unfortunately we're just gonna have to continue to get it out and unfortunately for the you know for the patriots game coming up this weekend it's not gonna get any easier with that defense
2: three trips inside the washington five it was um and they came away with zero points. They had the interception um, on the first drive. They had was it a turnover on turnover on downs in the second? Yeah, it was round? a turnover.
3: It was a turnover on downs because they basically couldn't yeah couldn't punch it in.
2: And then there was the end of the um, end of the game where Darnell Mooney couldn't get it in as well. So they really struggled down there in the red zone. And to me, that's that's just incredible. Like you you sit there, you get down three times in the five, inside the five. And you go 0 for 3 in the red zone, and that the over three in the red zone counts touchdowns. It doesn't count field goals. So they're 0 for 3 in touchdowns. Didn't even get a field goal down there inside the five. And it's just it's crazy, man. Like you can blame whoever you want. They're just a bad team overall. And I, I said it during the game, you echoed pretty much the same thing during the game, as did many Bears fans on Twitter. This is what happens when you have a quarterback who's in year two pretty much just completed his first season in terms of number of games played in his career. And you surround him with an offensive line that is horrendous at blocking. And I don't care what the ESPN stat says. I have eyes. I have the all 22, the game pass. That is not one of the best blocking offensive lines in all of football. It's one of the worst blocking offensive lines in all of football. And then you give him wide receivers who outside of Darnell Mooney and Mooney had you know his mistake at the end there? You got to come down with that to win the game. But outside of him, man, you're throwing to guys that are like no offense on of these guys, but they're wide receiver four, wide receiver five, and a lot of teams. Some of them not even on teams. We saw Mira Smith Marset get a chance on a fourth and sixteen, drop the ball. I don't even think he would have got the first down. I think it was a yard or two short. Anyway, he gets uh, waved today. He's gone. You got you know. Dante Pettis is probably the best of that group, but he's so hot and cold, you know, you can't really expect consistency from him. EQ St. Brown is struggling. Byron Pringle's hurt. I mean, Valus Jones is not even playing offense. He's not even out there. I mean, he's barely out there at all. So it's, it's frustrating. It is what it is. And, you know, spoiler, like, yeah, this team's bad. This is what everyone who's been around the team, every national media member who has connections to the team, said it they're bad they're a bad team all off season and for whatever reason people want to go after them and and you're negative and you're wrong and look at the seahawks The the seahawks are terrible blah blah like no the bears are bad the bears are a really bad team i didn't think they'd be the worst team in the league i didn't think they'd be number 31 number 30 i thought they'd be in like that 25 26 range like top 10 pick right around there they're bad man and you look at the rest of the schedule. They got another primetime game this week. They're going to be favored maybe in one, maybe, maybe in one game, and that's going to be Detroit at home. And that's going to be a potentially a a two-and-a-half, three-point spread with the home team getting essentially three points in, in bet. So it's going to get rough. I mean, I don't know, man. That's just kind of my thoughts on it. It is what it is. Like, this is what happens when your general manager brings in this talent. And I understand this is their plan. They have hopes for this upcoming off season. I just, in my eyes, I don't know how you can evaluate Justin Fields when you give him this type of situation that he's in right now.
3: Well, it's funny because you talk about, you know, you didn't think they'd be one of the worst teams in the league and neither did I. And the, what what's crazy about it is, is if, if, if the draft happened today, the bears would be picking, I think it's either 10 or 11. So it's like, for as crazy – you know, as crazy as it has been and for as bad as they have looked, I mean, there are so many bad teams in the league right now. I mean, I'm sure you watched yeah. that Monday night game last night. The NFL night. is terrible. The yeah. NFL
2: is it's, it's terrible this year.
3: Yeah, you basically have – you have, like, I'd say, what, four, you know, good teams. I'm not putting – I'm sorry, but I'm not putting the Giants in that, man. The Giants have had the craziest amount of luck possible to get to 5-1. and one. Um, But, I mean, there, there, there are a few good teams – some middling teams and then some bad teams. I mean, the Packers are sitting at three and three right now. Uh, Minnesota is at five and one. I don't think they're playing like a five and one team either. I'll be completely honest there. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of bad teams. And, and unfortunately, this goes back to the offseason in which, you know, really all you had to do is look at this on paper, which again, like, yes, are there some, are there some, national media bias against the Bears at points yes there absolutely are but there are also a lot of people who are not you know biased against the Bears who remain relatively objective that have said all offseason how bad this team was going to be and a lot of people got upset about it you know it was the saving receipts and all this other stuff on Twitter and you know it's like none of those receipts are going to get pulled and quite frankly it's probably going to be the other way around it's like all the people who claim that they were going to you know, pin their record prediction and all this stuff, all the positive stuff that the bears are going to do up to the top of their, you know, Twitter profile are already gone. And Again, I understand being optimistic, right? I understand thinking, you know, being a fan of the team and thinking that the team is going to be better than everybody else thinks it is. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think that when you get combative and when you start trying to tell people that are being objective, that are trying to be as level-headed as possible and look at the roster and look at what happened this offseason and look at the other teams around them and say, hey, this is not going to be a good team. And keep in mind, again, this is the first year of a pretty extensive rebuild, which a lot of the rebuild part in terms of at least a teardown is already out of the way. It's like this team's got over 60 million dollars in dead cap space. They don't have a lot of good talent. It is what it is, like you said. But at the at the same time, I think we're we're seeing. And this is something, again, that we've talked about multiple times where teams have to find ways, especially teams like this, when 65 percent of their roster has been turned over, teams have to find a way to win games and they have to learn how to win games. And right now, over the last three weeks, the Bears have had three crucial turnovers, one in each game in a one score game. And, and I think when you go back to that and you look at it and you say, okay, you know, you look at the Giants game, you look at the Minnesota game, uh, you look at this this game last week, obviously, you know, you had the three trips inside the red zone and they didn't get any points. But even at that, it's like Valus Jones Jr., man, two out of the last three weeks has had a muffed punt in the fourth quarter that has at least cost him a chance to go down and either tie the game or win the game. Right. And then you look at, you know, you look at the same situation in Minnesota with the, you know, the mirror Smith-Marset thing, and then he had another drop. And it's just I, I, those kind of guys don't bother me because, again, I've gone on record multiple times and I'll continue to say it until I'm proven wrong, if I'm ever proven wrong, which I don't think I'm going to be. Uh, Vaila Stone Jr. was a really bad pick in the third round. And as of right now, and I understand that he had a hamstring injury and he missed the first three weeks of the season or whatever it was. But as of right now, they have drafted a gadget player offensively that it has inconsistent hands catching the ball. That's a thing that I don't think a lot of people understand is like even and you, you can obviously, you know, back this up as well, because I mean, it was reported a lot of different places. Uh, he has questionable hands as a receiver. We haven't had really get to see that yet because it's been a lot of short plays, get him out in space, so on and so forth. But the fact is, is that their third round pick, a position of need that they really needed to be able to produce right away, has barely played anything on offense and has been a disaster on special teams. Outside of the two-month punts, the guy's afraid to return a kick right now. And it's like you start looking around again at the offensive line. um, I mean, the offense, I don't care. Here's the thing, man. I'm sure that there is some middle ground uh, with the ESPN stat, the, pla- the pass block win rate stuff. That I, I think it's like Seth Walden and who somebody else created. I understand that there's some middle ground. I get that. But if you can uh, if you can sit there and put out a stat that says that at any point at any game this season that Sam Mustafer had a hundred percent pass, uh, you know, winning or a uh, pass block win rate of a hundred percent. That that stat to me is automatically already going to be in question. I don't care what the numbers say. I I am also not denying the fact that Justin Fields has held the ball too long at times, but it's it's crazy to me to simply say, okay, this is a statistic because for at least two and a half seconds, they held their blocks, when in reality – what are the receivers doing downfield? Are the receivers getting open? You know, it's like, and then after that, it's like, I, I'm sorry, but two and a half seconds really isn't a whole lot of time, especially if the pocket's already collapsing and around him. Mean, again, that's not to excuse anything with Justin Fields, because let's be honest, man, Justin Fields has had, I would say, one good game, He's had one average game. I, I think this last week was a little bit below average. I think when you go back to week one, it was, I, w- I would classify it as a little bit below average considering the weather and just the overall inconsistencies. And he's had two really bad games. But, you know, Justin Fields has his own faults. But again, I, I, I don't understand. I'm frustrated, right? I'm frustrated because I'm watching the the you know the projections and the depth chart that we all saw in the in, in, in the offseason and the preseason play out and saying, okay, this is exactly what we all expected. I'm not surprised, but there are many people out there that are surprised right now. And it's like, how can you be surprised? When you have two fifth-round picks, it doesn't matter what draft class they came from. Then you have two fifth-round picks that are starting at your tackle spots right now. You have Sam Mustafer, who is arguably one of the worst offensive linemen in the league last year that has started all six games at center for you this year, right? And it's, it's one of those things where, historically speaking, if you look at the hit rate on a fifth-round offensive tackle, it is minuscule. And you have two of those guys going out there and doing that. And both guys have been terrible. And that's, it's kind of the thing. And and the crazy thing is, is their best offensive lineman outside of Cody White here, who's obviously her right now, the best offensive lineman has been a guy that they rotated with Lucas Patrick for the first four games of the season. And again, obviously we're going to have to see what happens, but it's just like like you pointed out, you know, Darnell Mooney is their only real NFL receiver that should be considered a top two to three receiver in terms of wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three. I've also maintained, even going back to last year, Darnell Mooney is not a number one receiver. I don't think Darnell Mooney's ever going to become a number one receiver because that's just not how he plays. I think he can be a Tyler Lockett. I think that he can produce at a wide receiver one, you know, at points. But he's never going to profile as that guy that can take on double coverage and that can absolutely change a game on his own consistently. I just don't think that's who he's going to be. And I think we saw that once again on Thursday night when they needed him to make a play he wasn't able to make a play that has been one of the consistent things throughout Darnell Mooney's career so far is that yes he's a really good receiver and he makes you know he makes those big catches down the field catches at times but when it really matters Darnell Mooney has not really delivered and again it is what it is but when you when you look at the depth chart at what it was and what it has been in the preseason, what it has been in the regular season. I don't know how anybody can possibly be remotely surprised that they threw the worst combination of offensive line and pass-catching talent out there in the NFL with a second-year receiver and a first-year offensive coordinator and have expected any much better results than what they're seeing right now. It's just I, I don't – you guys have t- talked about it all offseason. You talked about it, it you know, whether it was the off season workout programs, whether it was training camp – That this group did not look good. They were getting dominated by the Bears defense. Well, we've seen what the Bears defense has done so far. The Bears defense isn't very good and the Bears defense also can't really rush the passer all that well, but yet they were completely dominating this offensive line. So, you know, again, I understand it's a it's the beginning of a rebuild, but it's also hard not to feel frustrated at the fact that yes. The Bears could have done things differently. Did they need to go out and throw a whole bunch of money at guys? Did they need to sign a guy like Teron Armstead? Did they need to do whatever? Okay, no, maybe not. But when you look at the fact that Abraham Lucas was taken one pick after Valus Jones Jr. in the second or in the third round, Abraham Lucas has been a pretty dang good right tackle, especially for a rookie for Seattle this year. Then you look at their second round picks. Yeah, okay, Kyler Gordon's improving. Jaquan Brisker's been pretty good overall but did you really need two defensive backs when you had a guy like George Pickens, who was there for both of your picks? Did you really need, and that's, that's the frustration. Even a guy like Alec Pierce, Alec Pierce was, had lasted through both of the Bears picks. So why is it that, that, you know, that was easy. And then, again, it's not one of those things, maybe with Abraham Lucas, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, you know, it's one of those after the fact type of situations, but the fact is, is we all identified the fact that receiver was going to be a huge thing. So what do they go out and do? They sign Equanimia St. Brown, who was a guy that wasn't even really on the Packers roster for a lot of last year. And they go out and they sign a guy in Byron Pringle, who's never been anything more than a fourth target in the Kansas City offense. And then they draft a guy in Bayless Jones Jr. who had one solid year of college production at Tennessee at age 24. And they expected that to be good enough. And now people are surprised at the result. And again, it's not a shot at fans, but it's it's one of those. This is why we stay realistic. This is why we stay objective. This is why we stay level-headed. Because if you look at it through a lens of not being a fan, but through an objective lens and saying, okay, when you're comparing this team to even teams within the division or even teams within the NFC, it doesn't stack up well offensively. And again, my biggest frustration is, is maybe Justin Fields wouldn't be the guy regardless. I'm not saying that he is or isn't, but maybe he would he would fail regardless of what's going on right now. But how can you possibly, in good faith, say that you're giving him an honest evaluation in the middle of a rebuild with what they have put around him? And that's just kind of where I'm at right now. I just don't see how any of this is fair to him. And yes, he's had his own warts, but I don't know, man. I don't know if you've watched much of Trevor Lawrence or if you've watched... Much Zach Wilson or even Mac Jones before he went down, all of these guys have awards. But the difference is, is that all of these other guys have better offensive line than they actually have real receiving talent around them. And Justin Fields is that guy that has neither of them.
2: I I agree. And
0: we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: For me, it goes back to coaching. It goes back to the general manager making the moves that he did. Bayless Jones Jr. had 18 punt returns in college. 18. They all came last season. I don't know what the coaches saw to put him back there that, that was spectacular. He can't hold on to the football, man. He is a mess back then. It's not only fumbling punts. He doesn't know when to fair catch, when to let him go. Earlier in the game, he had one that he let go that he should have fair caught. And then he had another one that he fair caught with no one 15 yards in front of him. I mean, nice young man, and, and I hate to rip on him, but he, he, he doesn't know. He's struggling back there. I think you got to make that switch. I think you got to go to Dante Pettis back there. I think you got to make a switch on the offensive line um, as well. I, I, you can't do the Sam for experiment anymore. It's got to be Lucas Patrick at center. You maybe switch out a guard as well. I, can
3: you I, also explain to me why – Khalil Herbert rips off a 60-plus-yard run and then proceeds to get, what was it, four carries the rest of the game? They
2: get them in the game. Well, they not even that. Let me ask you this. He rips off a 62-yard run, right? They ran the ball, I think, two out of the next three plays. He was gassed. You could see him in, like, in the huddle. I saw him from the press box on the big screen. He was gassed. And I'm not saying Khalil Herbert doesn't deserve the carries down there you have a fresh running back on the sideline standing there in david mm-hmm. montgomery give, you you're a team that is you know going into what the giants game 19 runs one pass in the red zone you and you, you're dedicated to running the football why is david montgomery like i watch all these other teams that are out there on on sundays when i can and you look at the rotation at running back and it's it's a guy gets three carries you know in in a five play span they go to the next guy to freshen things up. The Bears don't do that. I don't know what the hell they're doing with this running back rotation. Like you said, because how many carries did he get the rest of the
3: way? I want to say it was like five. I had to go back and look at the box store, but I, I think he got a five or six total.
2: And the game was a one-score game the entire way. And yeah, and Khalil thing, Herbert has,
3: has been their most productive running. Like David Montgomery, I, I, I like David Montgomery. David Montgomery has had one good game the entire year and somehow he's been the lead running back anytime he's healthy and Khalil Herbert just basically sits and rots on the bench and like you said it's all about usage
2: yeah it shouldn't be yeah you're right I mean you know even if Montgomery struggled like why is is Herbert running twice in a span of three plays after just ripped off a 62 yarder which he was clearly out of gas like they do the same thing with the right guard before Cody Whitehead got hurt like What is going on? I do not understand what is going on with this coaching staff, what they're doing, what they see right now. It's hard, man. It's hard defending them. It's a a struggle. And, you know, back to the field's point, I did see some good things on Thursday. Initially, I reacted. The Ryan Griffin play I thought was all on fields. I still think a little bit of it is. Going back and watching that listening to pros like Keyshawn Johnson and Trent Dilfer and other guys that played the game and, did the, and do the analysis now. I can see their point of how Ryan Griffin should have got turned a little slightly the other way and kind of slowed down the route. I still think the quarterback has to hit that route. Why do we have to watch Justin Fields shoulder Ryan Griffin? Why? That's the biggest point for me. He should be throwing to another tight end that's better or a younger tight end. Give him a shot, like a rookie... You know what I mean? Like, the point is, he's throwing to guys that aren't legit. Like, they're not going to change the game for you. And I was thinking throughout the entire game, what would Justin Fields look like if he had Carson Wentz's weapons out there? And Terry McLaurin is pretty damn good. Jahan Dotson did not play. He's another young, good player. They have a young guy in Diami Brown who had a big game the week before. Now, he hasn't been great his entire career at all. He's struggled. But the difference is they have young guys like that to develop and give reps. I would rather watch someone like Yami Brown drop passes from Justin Fields. At least I know. You know what I mean? At least there's hope. He's a second-year guy. I like to watch John Dotson out there. The Bears don't have that. And a guy I go back to the pick they traded to the Bills, Khalil Shakur, okay? He was drafted with that pick they traded to the Bills. The Bills came up. Grab Shakur. He's not lighting it up. He's in an offense with Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, Gabriel Davis. They have two to three running backs out there. Um, I believe they have another tight end they like to throw to. They had another. uh, They have Isaiah McKenzie. I still, I believe, still out there. Six catches, 112 yards, one touchdown. He returns punts for the Buffalo Bills. I'm not saying someone like that changes your entire offense. Means that the Bears are should be unbeaten and, and better. But at least you have a guy to develop. Who do they develop on this roster right now? They have Darnell Mooney and Valus Jones, are the two guys you pretty much develop on this roster. That's the problem. That's what I'm most concerned about. They just yep. didn't do enough. They didn't do enough. It's bottom line.
3: Yeah, well, they, they just don't have a lot. That's the problem is they don't really have a lot of younger talent at the skill positions to develop. And I get it. It's a rebuild. It is what it is. But when you when you go back and you look at what they did this offseason and you know what they did in the draft it just it, and that's you know and that's kind of the thing is you, whether or not kyler gordon and jaquan brisker end up panning out you know is one thing and obviously everybody's going to argue best player available but that's why when you look at this offense and you see the the just the the lack of talent on this team, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that right there is why you cannot afford to spend two, you know, your first two picks in the second round. You cannot afford to spend those both on defenders because as we're seeing right now, the most important position, the the one position that the Bears have never gotten right in the modern and in the modern era, that they've never gotten right. And yet here we are, and they have put together probably the worst supporting cast that we have seen from a Bears quarterback, probably since the the first year of uh, Trubisky. And even then, I mean, let's be honest, man, at least with the, the first year of Trubisky, he had a better offensive line than what the Bears are dealing with right now, what they have right now. I mean, obviously they're, you know, you could probably make an argument that they the receivers are, are better now, just simply based on Darnell Mooney. But it's just, I again, I understand it's a rebuild. I understand you got to tear things down, but it's like, it just, As we're getting further into the season, and it's kind of confirming the feelings that we both had moving into the season not only did they not do enough to help Justin Fields, but it almost feels like they – not intentionally, but that they actively sabotaged any development that they were going to get from him because of what is around him. And the fact – I mean, the, the reality of it is is there two leading receivers as far as targets in this last game was Dante Pettis and Darnell Mooney. Darnell Mooney had 12 targets. Dante Pettis had seven. Dante Pettis is a guy that hasn't consistently played in the league – uh since 2019 I mean it's just when I say consistently I mean actually out there as a you know wide receiver one through three or whatever it may be it's just it's crazy and by the way uh Khalil Herbert ended up having seven touches uh or, or sorry I should say seven rushes overall it's just again man like I don't actually think the overall game plan from Luke Getzey was that bad I think a lot of it is just the fact that this offensive line is terrible uh, they don't have a lot of good receivers Justin Fields is not really quite understanding the concept of NFL open versus college open. Um, And obviously I think that's going to come with time, but I don't know, man. It's just, it's one of those things where I just, I still cannot understand how they lost a game in which they pretty much flat out dominated the majority of the game. I mean, it, it, it honestly, even if let's just say like, even if you convert, two out of the three drives that you were inside the you know inside the five yard line and the other one you end up getting a field goal on that's 17 extra points right i mean they should have been they should have won that game basically 24 to 12 at bare minimum it's just i don't know man it's crazy and i think the other thing that's kind of crazy out of this too is the fact that I, I, I just – it feels like the Bears' defense is barely hanging on until it gets right towards the end. And then it's like they, they – this is the second week in a row that they've given up that drive right at the end of the game. Uh, you know, when, basically when they when they really needed to be counted on. Uh, I shouldn't say right at the end of the game, but I should say, you know, it, it's just – I don't know. Maybe I'm putting too much into it because, again, the Bears only scored seven offensive points. But there's just – There's a lot. And again, I I don't know who to point the finger at. I think ultimately this is just the symptom of a really bad roster, but it's also unfortunate because at least to me, I'm not seeing a lot of development that's going on right now. And I think that in, in, in this type of year, you need to, especially offensively, you need to see at least some pieces emerge And right now, outside of Tevin Jenkins and Darnell Mooney, and I guess you could, you know, throw Cole Kometa in there just because he's, you know, in year three or whatever. It's like, you know, and then obviously the running backs, they just don't really have a whole lot right now. I think that's a little concerning because that means that there's going to be a lot of question marks moving into this offseason. And there's no amount of resources in terms of cap space and draft capital that can just automatically fix this offense if they don't get any more development.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Aaron, and and let's put the Washington game in the past. Um, Let's focus here on Week 7, and to do that, we are going to bring in one of our favorite guys on Twitter, someone that you and I are really close with. Uh, He covers the New England Patriots for WEEI. He's Corey Thompson. He has a great interview to give us some insight on the New England Patriots of Bears Week 7 opponent coming up on Monday Night Football. Before we get into that, though, I do have to let our listeners know about OddsTrader is the number one site for betting that gets you all the updated betting odds from all major betting platforms. It combines all those platforms into one easy-to-use site. It helps you out to give you the best odds, the best bonuses out there, the best bang for your buck. Has a bunch of great features as well handicapping, play by play updates, live scores, and bet tracking, key game statistics, player statistics, projected game day weather, and my favorite thing, the bet tracker. The bet tracker allows you to keep records of all your games, and all your betting activity. For our Bear Report podcast listeners and the Blue Wire Network, please go to d- www.oddstrainer.com Blue BlueWire. That's oddstrader.comslash Blue BlueWire. Oddstrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Here's our interview with Kyrie Thompson. We hope you learn a lot from this, and we'll be back to wrap things up after this. And now joining us here on the Bear Report podcast, a very special guest, Kyrie Thompson, who is a Patriots beat reporter for WEEI in Boston. Has fantastic work covering the Patriots. He's here to give us some insight on the Bears' upcoming opponent, New England, Week 7, primetime TV, unfortunately for all of us. Kyrie, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, how are you doing, first off? I am doing wonderfully
4: and I'm looking for, are you going to be there, Zach? Are you going to be down not, here? on my,
2: No, ah. no, I'm not going to be there. I wish I was um, probably good thing. Cause I've, I've had a cold bug here, like the past, like five ah. days, my son got sick and now he gave it to me and my wife. So that's yeah,
4: man. Okay. That's exactly what's going on over here. Okay. My daughter uh, has had cases of RSV pop up around oh, her oh. daycare. So pretty sure both uh, my wife and I got clipped. Um, I'm over it, but, uh, I think my wife's still struggling with it, but that's the thing, man, you have kids. They don't, they don't always tell you how much of just germ factories they are. (laughs) My, my God. That's funny. We were We're just
3: talking about that. I was just telling Zach, I said, you had a kid. Now you're going to get sick all the time. This is just all all the time.
2: (laughs) Constantly. This this is brutal. This is absolutely brutal. Kyrie, tell us what's going on with new England, man. What, What what's the rundown on the Patriots? Um, they're entering this game off of a big win um what's kind of the being the big storylines what's going on with the team uh what should we kind of expect
4: there is only one storyline that matters out of new england right now and it starts with a simple question do you have it meaning do you have zappy fever because it's it's just wild how Bailey Zappi has captured New England in a way that, I mean, Mac Jones was the number 15 overall pick last year, comes in, has has a great rookie season by, by rookie standards for sure, and 10-7, and seven, leads the team to the playoffs, and I just don't know that at any point there was as much fervor about Mac Jones as there's been about two starts of Bailey Zappi so far. I mean, this is, this is wild stuff. And, and I mean, some of it makes me want to pull my hair out, but also some of it's just hilarious. Like, for example, we just found out that the Patriots sent us an email saying that this past game that they played against the Browns, blowout win 38-15 over the Cleveland Browns, was the highest rated 1 p.m. game of the season for any team across the league. That's like, wow, that guy's got some star power.
3: That is wild, because I, I, that was actually going to be my first question to you, because, again, from the outside looking in, I, I, I'm sitting here and I'm seeing some of the some of the things being said. There was that report today from like an old uh, was a Ben Volan or I don't know how you say his name. Yep, Yeah, uh, that's
4: Ben, Ben Volan, former yeah. colleague of
3: mine yeah, so, and he comes out and basically said that Mac Jones needed to be knocked down a peg. You've got people talking about a supposed quarterback uh, controversy. Am I losing my mind, or I, I just I guess I don't understand. like I wasn't high on Mac Jones uh, coming out of the draft. but I mean it's it's un, it's just it's undeniable that he was the best rookie quarterback from last year, And quite frankly, had Jamar Chase not had the season that he had as a rookie, he would have won Rookie of the Year. Is there really a quarterback controversy or is this just something being drummed up amongst the fans and everything else?
4: In terms of is Mac Jones going to get his job back once he's healthy? I think the answer is unequivocally. Yes. I mean, I I don't, I don't know that there's anything Bailey Zappi could do right now to, to force their hand. I mean, unless he's throwing for 400 yards and five touchdowns or I, I don't know, just something completely off the table, like against a really good defense, because that's the other thing to keep in mind. Two defenses he did this against, against the, the Detroit Lions and against the Cleveland Browns, uh, where his, his two wins have been against two of the three worst defenses in football. So you got to kind of take that into account. I mean, he's been good. I mean, I'm not going to say he hasn't been good. He's been good but you got to maintain some of that context. And, and the fact that they've scaled back the offense, they're giving him way more easy stuff than they did with Mac Jones, way more under center, way more play action, way more screens. I mean, they were really giving Mac Jones just like, Hey, you, you run this offense. This is your offense. And they dealt with just, much more of a transition period in the early part of the year where you're dealing with Matt Patricia and Joe judge learning how to kind of run an offense, how they're going to do that whole thing. And then new offensive terminology, you had offensive linemen blowing assignments, chemistry issues between the receivers. And then Bailey's Abbey kind of reaps the benefits of the Patriots, figuring things out a little bit more and scaling things back and getting back to their roots. And now everybody just thinks that he's better. Look, I've watched those guys for months in training camp, spring practice, all of that in no way is Bailey Zappi actually a better quarterback than Mac Jones in no way at all. I mean, there's nothing that Bailey Zappi can do that Mac Jones cannot do. And that last game that Mac Jones played just before getting hurt, Baltimore Ravens, yeah, he threw three picks in that game. Everybody harps on that. But he made four or five throws in that game that Bailey Zappi cannot make right now. And so I'm looking at it like there's no real controversy in my mind about who the better player is and whether or not Mac Jones is going to get his job back once he's healthy, barring just some... Just unbelievable heater by Bailey Zappi, which, I mean, we're not there yet. I will tell you, though, that the things that I've started hearing are that, hey, if Mac Jones comes back and struggles, then maybe you're talking about a scenario where the Patriots say, we ain't got time for this. We think we got something in the Zappi kid. We're going to play him. But that in and of itself, if you do that, that's it. You've you've lit that number fifteen overall pick on fire. You got to trade him, and you're and you're going all in on Bailey Zappi. And I have not seen anything to suggest that the Patriots should go all in on Bailey Zappi after these two games.
2: Looking at this offense, and obviously the big storyline is is the quarterback. Patriots run game has really taken off as of late, and, and it's Stevenson who's kind of taken over the workload. I I know uh, Damian Harris missed the last game. And I'm looking at something here on the Patriots Twitter account, which is fascinating for a couple of reasons, because I actually have Bill Belichick breaking down plays, uh, which is something that I have never seen a Bears coach do um, because <laughs> of the secrecy at House Hall, apparently. And he's breaking down uh, Stevenson's rushing touchdown. And he, you know, he's pretty much basically saying, we're winning the battle at the line of scrimmage. Has that been the case for the Patriots run game? When did it kind of take off? And how has that helped uh, no matter who the quarterback is back there? Real quick.
4: I, I think that's the funniest thing is that the Patriots have this reputation for being like Alcatraz. And in certain yep. cases, they, they kind of are. They, they, they really lock some things down and make it difficult for you. But in terms of access and, and Bill Belichick hopping on the Belustrator, right? That, that's what you're talking about on Patriots.com. I mean, There are little bits in which he gives you access that you kind of wouldn't expect to get. And and I love that because Bill Belichick is one of the I mean, he's probably might be the greatest X's and O's guy that's ever been in in football history. Right. So to have him be able to break that down is, is excellent. But in terms of their offensive line, all we could see in training camp was how bad this offensive line was. They could not block anything. And I think some of it they just needed time because the mo- they've they've gotten better in every single game seemingly in the way that they run the football where Trent Brown is is like a a like a refrigerator with legs I mean you do not want to be in front of that guy when he's coming downhill at you Cole Strange I mean had, had an iffy. Uh, You know, first couple of weeks, but his athleticism, the way that he gets out on at whether it's on outside zones or when he's pulling through the gap, I mean, he they use him as a weapon in the run game because of the way that he can get moving. And then you've got David Andrews and, and Mike on who's one of the best offensive linemen in the league. And that's why they decided they were okay with letting Shaq Mason go and trading one of their best offensive players last year. Cause Michael and that good and Isaiah win, he can't pass block, but he can run block. I think it, all it took was just time and commitment to it. And getting back to a little bit more of the gap schemes that they were really good at because they were repping a lot of outside zones in training camp and it wasn't working out and basically they said you know what we're just going to run it in a phone booth we're just going to run it right at you that's what we've been good at and they figured that out really quickly and then started to mix in some of the outside stuff so I feel like they've got a great flow up front they do regularly beat you up at the point of attack whether it's whether it's uh, Damian Harris or Amandre Stevenson who has incredible footwork he's making guys miss in a phone booth like within two yards of the line of scrimmage I mean he's something else so if you're looking at what the Bears need to be watching out for I mean point number one stop the run
3: <laughs> which is exactly something the Bears have just been fantastic at all year so that is that is great news and you know what's funny and I don't mean to pat myself on the back here but I'm going to anyway is that Ramondre Stevenson Stevenson was one of my favorite running backs coming out a few years ago. And I know everybody was all hyped up on Trey Sermon. Yeah, because you're
4: an Oklahoma guy.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So, and everybody was hyping up Trey Sermon. And obviously, he had that one good year uh, at Ohio State, but he could never stay healthy. And I kept telling people, it's like Ramondre Stevenson is going to be the better of the two NFL running backs. And so far, he's proven me right because the guy is one, he's big and he's strong and he's physical, but like you said, the, his lateral ability to you know be able to break tackles to be able to get away from guys like you said in a phone booth is is really incredible for a guy his size. so it, it makes me happy to see him doing well because honestly outside of that suspension that he had when he came back man Oklahoma's entire running game changed like he was a game changer for that entire offense. So I'm going to give you five numbers and one of them is not like the other and I, I I want an explanation on this because I'm still trying to figure this out all right so 35, 36. 24 48 and zero, right? Those are the point totals for the Detroit Lion offense this year, right? <laughs> that one zero happened to come against the New England Patriots when they lost 29 to zero. Now, nobody's saying that the Detroit Lions are a good football team this year, but I think. A lot of people would say that the Detroit Lion offense has actually been pretty dang good. So explain to me how the hell they go from being the highest scoring team in the league through the first four games to all of a sudden getting shut out by the New England Patriots in week five.
4: Well, if one thing, I told everybody who would listen, don't trust Jared Goff in this game. I mean, people were being split about it and like, oh, yeah, maybe the Lions are high power. I was like, no, 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 do not trust Jared Goff here because Bill Belichick owned him in the Super Bowl and he owned him again here. And it's not like the Patriots played a perfect game either. I mean, there were there were sometimes there were break and contain. They gave up a little bit in the ground game that I mean I, I wouldn't have wanted to see them do, but there there were also some injuries involved, right? You didn't have Chark, you didn't have Quintes Cephas. you didn't have uh DeAndre Swift in this game. So there, there was there were a couple of players missing, but I think all in all, what happens is the Patriots make you play their brand of football at, at, at times on defense they dictate it to you they're saying you're not going to take the top off of our defense and Devin McCordy is still as good as there is in the league in terms of making sure you cannot go deep or, or if you want to he's going to make you think twice about it and then of course you got Jack Jones the the rookie cornerback picking off Jared Goff in the end zone on on just an excellent play. His discipline, his his footwork, and and all of that way exceeds what you think a rookie should be able to do. And I think just up front, Matthew Judon is a real problem. He really is. And there have been times when he's been uh, less dominant as as a pass rusher. I think he didn't have any pressures in this past game against the Browns, but he made up for it by stopping the run. And I mean, when, when you turn him loose against an offensive line like the Bears have... I mean, that's probably a multi-sack game for him. Uh, so so you've got to watch out for that. But I think just generally, Bill Belichick and that coaching staff, I, I mean, they're as good as there, as there is at scheming up defenses to stop people. And you look at how they do against first and second year quarterbacks. He, he owns them, which does not bode well for Justin Fields on Monday.
2: And, and switching over to Justin Fields, Is there any chance the Bears offense can find success and maybe move the football against this Patriots defense? Where would be the weakness that Matty Refluz and Luke Getze would have to exploit here?
4: Well, I think that in a way, the Patriots and Bears are a pretty similar kind of football team in their strengths and weaknesses, though the Patriots just have better personnel and better coaching. But you look at, for, for example, like EPA, for, uh, for running the football, the Patriots in terms of stopping the run are only barely better than the Bears. They are not good at stopping the run either. So the Bears need to look at, at that and say, hey, we, we can. they're going to run the ball on us. We can run the ball on them because they absolutely can, especially if you're going to be missing Christian Barmore, who got hurt and, and dinged up at the end of, of that Browns game. He's their best interior defender. That could be really big. And I think just generally, again, Matthew Judon is is solid as a pass rusher, very good as a pass rusher. He's okay against the run. He's not great. Dietrich Wise has been a revelation on the other side of Matthew Judon, but again, not amazing. And then the linebackers they have, they're big, they're physical, but they're not very fast. So you can potentially take advantage of them a little bit on the edges of the defense. And if you can hit some things up inside, you can run on this football team. And then in terms of the passing game, look, it is not going to be easy sledding for the Patriots or for the Bears passing game. And I mean, that wasn't that that hasn't been the case really for anybody. But in particular, I mean, the the Patriots have one of the best pass defenses in the league. They have very good safeties. That's their best position group on the team. And their cornerbacks have been way better than expected. Everybody thought they were going to fall off because they got rid of JC Jackson. That has not been the case. Jack Jones has been really good. Jonathan Jones, when he's been able to play, has been good. And the other rookie, Marcus Jones, the three Jones brothers have really been playing good football for them in the secondary. The weakness that you can have in the passing game, though, is exploiting the linebackers because those linebackers don't cover particularly well. So if the Patriots can or rather if the Bears can can exploit some some angle routes from the running backs, get Vilas Jones, maybe on a mismatch with the linebacker. Get some screens going, though you got to block them up, and that can be tough against this group. They need to start exploiting the short middle of the field, make those linebackers cover, and try to keep the ball away from that ball-hawking secondary. That's the only way I think they're going to get things going in in the passing game, and then take your shots when you can get them. You might be able to exploit Jack Jones's aggressiveness in the secondary a little bit, but you're not going to get a whole lot of big plays against this defense.
3: Well, Kyrie, uh, before I ask my final two questions, I do have to say one thing here. Um, and I don't know if anybody's ever told you this before, but you are definitely you've definitely picked the right profession. And honestly, man, I think you you have the perfect voice for radio. Like I'm sitting here listening to you. And keep in mind, we've all known each other for a while. I think this is actually the first time that we've actually ever like like talk right but <laughs> it's crazy to sit here and listen to you because you sound it's just crazy man like you have a perfect voice for radio uh so hopefully hopefully somebody's told you that and hopefully that's something that you get to do uh, more of down the line i just want to throw that out there so uh, my final two questions for you one uh you know and i know again we're recording this on a tuesday just to throw that out to everybody depending on when you listen to it so if you're wrong it's not a big deal who do you think is going to be starting at quarterback on Monday night for one? Um, and then two uh, you know, just your overall uh, you know, thoughts on the game. And if you see any advantage for the bears at all. My guess is that it's going to be
4: Bailey Zappi. Um, there, there are a couple of signs that may or may not point to that. For example, the uh, Bailey Zappi scheduled to speak to the media tomorrow, which is typically something the starting quarterback does. And again, that, That might not mean anything by the time we get down to it. And behind the scenes, Mac Jones is pushing real hard to get back on this football field. He does not want to keep on seeing Bailey Zappi playing good football in front of him and potentially threatening his job. He was questionable last week and did travel with the team, but it sounded like he even realized and, and the team realized before Sunday even got there that he wasn't going to be able to go, that that ankle needed a little bit more time. Obviously you get the extra day. So maybe there's, I would say there's more of a chance that Mac Jones plays, but I would be inclined to think that they might give him another week to get as close to hundred percent as possible because why rush him back when Bailey Zappy's doing what he's doing? You could you could say, look, why don't you just go ahead and rest and we'll get you back for the Jets? Because we actually care about that game because the Jets are good and the Bears are not. So that would be my guess is that it's going to be Bailey Zappy. And we'll see what he does against the Bears secondary, which I think is better than people have you know thought was it was going to be. And that's one thing. Bailey Zappy has not necessarily played against a very good secondary at all. I'm interested to see if he tries to, to test Eddie Jackson at all or what he could do with with Jalen Johnson, because I think those are those two players are probably better than anything he's faced in the secondary thus far. Now, in terms of the game itself, I think that we're looking at probably like, a I don't know, like a 21 or you know, 24 points or something like that for the Patriots, and maybe you're getting 14 at best out of the Bears. That said, look, we, we've heard a little bit from Matt Eberflus about the possibility of, hey, we're working on some things with the offensive line. We'll see how that goes. Working on some things in the passing game. Maybe they're making some adjustments that could make this passing offense a little bit better. And I will say this. If there's one thing the Patriots defense has not entirely done well this year – It's defend quarterbacks who can run. I watched Lamar Jackson break away from them a couple of surefire sacks, and he just escapes, runs for first down or or extends the play with his legs and, and hits a receiver down the field. And then in the second half of that, they kind of bottled up Lamar a little bit in the first half. They sacked him a few times. And then the second half of that game, they started running Lamar Jackson on designed runs, and it killed the Patriots. It was gashing them left and right. And that's when you started to see them start to yield some big yards. And then they weren't. And then the Patriots defense also isn't great on in third down situations or um, you know, in the red zone. So if if the Bears can, can figure out some of their own issues on those downs and in the red zone, you might be able to have something here. So I think if there's any chance, any chance at all, that the bears have a winning this game. It's going to be on Justin Fields. And I mean, we're, we're talking about a better performance in terms of you know completions taken with the defense gives you, but he's probably going to have to rip off some plays with his legs and just create something out of nothing because the Patriots defense is going to be tough on him.
2: Before we let you go, Kyrie, give us your score prediction. Give us an X factor in the game.
4: All right. Let me say, yeah, let me say 24, 14 Patriots over the bears. I think the X factor here could be, and, and I, I cannot believe I'm actually about to say this. It could be Nikhil Harry. okay. I, I, I think it, it's funny that I'm even saying, because I mean, look, Darnell Mooney, the Patriots are going to try to take him away. They know that he's really the only receiver that they've got that can do anything. Um, Velas Jones, maybe you could be talking, but it seems like they're not getting him as involved in the offense just yet. They're kind of spoon feeding him. Look, having a second receiver that a defense even has to remotely pay attention to aside from Cole commit at, at tight end. I think that's something that the bears absolutely need. Is Nikhil Harry great? No, but, if he can take advantage of a matchup against a secondary that is a little smaller than, than you'd like. So for example, I've seen Marcus Jones and Jack Jones and Jonathan Jones get boxed out by bigger receivers during training camp. If you have Nikhil Harry in a spot where, Hey, maybe you can take advantage of some of that size and just get him the football a little bit. I'm not saying that's going to win you the game, but that could help the Bears look a little bit more competent than they have in in the passing game. So there, there are little, very specific things that you might be able to take advantage of in in the passing game. um, You know, in in terms of size, but it's going to be pretty tough. And once again, as I mentioned, Justin Fields, he he has not necessarily played well this year consistently. He's had one or two flashes where you're like, okay, I think I can see it, but he. Finds ways sometimes to just make plays when it doesn't seem like anything is there or even even when he could have done something better. I mean, as, as David, I talked to him earlier in the day, said his the best play the Bears have is pocket breaks down. Justin Fields runs. I think that that can at least author enough offense for the Bears to be in position to be competitive for some of this
2: game. Appreciate your time. As always, uh, let everyone know where they can follow you on Twitter. Where could they hear you? Where can they read your work? All that good stuff. Yes,
4: indeed. So you can follow me at Katie Thompson five. I tweet mostly about the Patriots and try to get people off this whole zappy fever nonsense. <laughs> but every once in a while, you can find me tweeting or retweeting something about the Chicago Bears because that's just home. That is what it is. And so, uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me on. And thank you for the kind words, Aaron. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell my bosses about that so I can get a little bit more like airtime and they can give me my own show and all that. I mean, I do have my own show at First and Foxborough, which is an Odyssey podcast. Check it out, download it, stream it on the free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Oh, man, look at that. See, you it's got the perfect. radio a voice. Natural. And you, yeah, I mean, that was that, that was about as, as good as it gets, man. You have any idea how many times I've had to
4: say, like, almost that exact same thing? This is a daily <laughs> podcast. I literally oh, do this oh. every single day. And oh. I feel like I'm going to go crazy listening to my own voice.
2: Yeah, we, we don't do the daily one here. Uh, we're a couple times a week. I, I just, man, daily is tough for the podcast. But, but man, you do a great job. Though. I, I totally agree with Aaron. Oh, hey,
4: appreciate you, man. Anytime you want me on, we ain't even got to have Patriots versus bears. We could just talk bears. Yeah, let's do it. As, as sad, as sad as that makes me.
2: <laughs> no, no, for sure. We'll definitely have to have you on. Um, hopefully soon enough before the season gets over with.
4: Yes, indeed.
2: All right. Take it easy, man. Peace out. Thanks.
1: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance.
2: interview with Kyrie Thompson. He covers the New England Patriots for WEEI. Does a great job out there. We hope you learned a lot from that interview, gave you some good insight. And now we're here to kind of wrap things up on our end, give our predictions in our X factor for the week seven game. Aaron, I think I went first last week. Um, Do you want to go first this week for your prediction, your X-Factor?
3: Yeah. uh, Well, as far as X-Factor goes, I I think kind of like uh, Kyrie talked about, I, I think what this is going to come down to is the Bears' ability to stop the run, right? Because let's be honest, man, the Bears are not going to score a lot of points in this game. So, They've got to be able to stop the run and basically put it all on and Bailey Zappi, or I guess Mac Jones, if he's coming off that injury where he's not going to be a hundred percent to actually have to make throws. And I think that that's really what it's going to come down to. The defense is going to have to keep them in this game and even that may not be enough as we saw last week uh, against, you know, the, the, the commanders. I mean, it's just, it's just a tough, it's just a tough ask to, to, you know, ask the bears to win any games right now, because it seems like any time one thing goes right, the other thing goes wrong, vice versa. So that will be my X factor. As far as a score prediction, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say, I'm going to say 23, uh, 13 Patriots in this game. I just, I don't know, man. I, I just, I have a hard time seeing the bears scoring a lot of points and frankly, with this being on the road, I just don't really see how the Bears win this game.
2: Yeah, I'm with you again. I, I don't think this is a game the Bears are going to win. It's a tough road game. It's at night in prime time. Um, the Patriots, you know, I thought they were going to struggle this, week, this this year. Um, but they look like a pretty solid team. I think it's going to be somewhere like 26-17 Patriots. Uh, maybe the Bears offense does look a little better Um, but still I I just I think the Patriots are too good and my x-factor is if you know the Bears want to win the game they're gonna have to stop the run they're gonna have to get it done on the defensive side of the football stop the run force Bailey Zappi who should start or Mac Jones if he does start it's a tough throws get some turnovers you know some takeaways out there and maybe you'll have a shot to win this game this feels kind of feels like a, a game of the defense. They're going to have to play their best game of the year um, to get them a win. So, yeah, I'm going to go Patriots 26, Bears 17. I, I just hope to see something from Justin Fields in the offense uh, making some progress here. Aaron, let's kind of uh, finish things up here now. And can you tell everyone where you – where you can, where they can find you? Oh, ah, God, I'm having a
3: uh, word <laughs> salad days, here. Yeah. yeah,
2: where can they follow you at? on Twitter and read your work.
3: Yep. You can find me at Aaron Lemming NFL on Twitter and you can read my work on the bear And as always, you can follow the bear
2: report at just bear report. That's on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Zach Z-A-C-K underscore Pearson. You can read my work as well as others work on the bear Please rate, review, subscribe on all major podcasting platforms. It helps us and the picks for polls. We also do an instant reaction podcast after every game, um, hopefully, you'll hear from us Monday night after the uh, what we hope is a bear's win. But until then, everyone, please stay safe.
5: Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid, high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.